Good morning. My name is Ken. As Kurt said, I get the extreme privilege of being the student pastor here at the Pearland Vineyard, and I love uh, our students. I love getting the chance to talk to them about Jesus, and I love getting the chance to... Somebody who's really upset outside, aren't they? We're just going to stop and pray for that right now. <laughs> I love getting to talk to them about God's Word, and that's the... the message series that we've been in recently, uh, talking about why I read the Bible. And so today, as we continue in this series on I'm not fine, we're going to go to that word. We're going to go to Mark chapter five. So I want to go ahead and invite you because I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but if you have your Bible or your phone with a Bible or something like that with you, if you want to pull that out, you can read along in just a second. Uh, where, what I want to look at today is what do we do when we're not fine and it's not our fault. Anybody been living there for 18 months? I, I, didn't, I didn't ask for a pandemic. I didn't invite a pan, I didn't have anything like live a pretty healthy life. Didn't ask for any of those things. A lot of what we've experienced in the last 18 months is not our fault. And so we have this choice. When we're not fine and it's not our fault, we have a choice. We can either react or we can respond. And today we're going to look at two stories of one of depression and illness that is absolutely horrible to think about, to imagine. And the other one is a story of oppression and a, a, a person who... It is certainly not fine, has gone years under this uh, oppression, and, and we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with that. But I, I really want to bring us to that point, because I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I look at what's happened over the last 18 months, the question comes up, why? Does anybody have an answer? Because if you do, I'm going to sit down and y'all can... Like, I don't, I don't have an answer for why. I understand what's happened... And I understand what, how it has affected my, my family and my friends and my community, but I don't have an answer for why. And one of the great wrestling matches, I think, as followers of Jesus, one of the great wrestling matches is, that we engage in is how do we respond when we can't answer why? So I really hope that as we get to the end of this message, two things happen. One, you get a clear understanding that Jesus is deeply in love with you and that not a second of what you have experienced is beyond his understanding, his view, his compassion, and his desire for it to be better. And the second thing is at the end, I really have a sense that God wants to bring freedom and love and compassion to some of the folks that are in here today. So we're going to pray for that, okay? So let me get moving. Um, I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the reality of your love, your concern, your care. Lord, the, par the parts of our heart that are hardened because we're angry or we're bitter, would you just, would you soothe those? for the next little bit of time and let your love and the truth of your power 
become evident to us. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel of Mark and how it shows us the truth of who you are and how much you care about us. And Lord, help me to get out of the way. And Holy Spirit, you, you bring what should be heard. Amen. So the first story is a story of a spiritual battle. And if you're looking in your, in your uh, Bible, it starts at chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm not going to read it all to you, but here's the, here's the setting. Jesus is traveling with the disciples, and it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, which is the understatement of the entire story, <laughs> came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So here's the setting. You have this man who is filled basically with demons, and he's gone so crazy that he chooses to live in a graveyard. And, and the story goes on to say that all night and all day, he screamed and yelled in torment. It's like Hollywood stuff, right? And that they tried to bind him because he would harm himself and attack others. So they tried to bind him with chains. They put shackles on his feet. And he was so strong, so empowered by Satan that he was able to break those chains. And they could not contain him. And so they just left him to do that. So here's Jesus. And if you, I, I, I started to give a picture, uh, show you a picture of the Decapolis, but... Um, I couldn't find one that had the right pixels that I thought would be on there. So picture of the Decapolis. When you get across the lake, the Decapolis where this person lived is kind of off to the left. There's a cliff up to the right, and it's all tombs. And they're still there. You can go see them. And so this, this person, this man, lived in those tombs with all the stinky bones and all the rot and all the stuff that that, that involved. And basically screamed. If You see it on the side of the hill. He's screaming towards the city all night. So, if, you know, if you can imagine what that scene would have looked like. And as Jesus gets off the boat, this uh, picking up in verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. This is a demon asking, or multiple demons asking for mercy. Because Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, I have to think a little bit that Jesus landed on the shore, heard the screaming, and was like, okay, enough of that. <laughs> it's not like the guy asked to be healed. I mean, Jesus was fully human. He got annoyed with the barking dog in your neighbor's yard, right? He was like, I'm here to do something, and you shut up. So in, in, at his command, at him saying, come out, of, come out of this man, you impure spirit, the man runs. He comes and says, don't torture us. Jesus says, what is your name? Understand, and I'm not going to spend forever here, the power of Jesus to look into the eye of a man inhabited by multiple demons I know sometimes we paint this picture of Jesus as someone who's a little bit like, as, as uh, Ken Blue called him, Zippy the Wonder Christ. He's like just really nice, and he pets lambs all day. 
you know, and he just sits on a cloud in heaven at God's right hand, and he doles out cookies and brownies. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible looks into the eyes of a possessed demoniac who attacked people and says, hey, who are you? I think in that question, what is your name? He's not just trying to like get so he knows what to call him. Thanks. It was three, which is the like God's approving it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> He's not asking his name so he knows how to invite him to the next, you know, birthday party. He looks him in the eye and he's like, who are you to stand in front of me? That's the Jesus of the Bible. And that's important because when we are going through oppression, when we are going through anxiety, when Satan is kicking our behinds, we need to understand that we are under a Christ that has no fear of anything he can bring. No fear. And it's hard because we're human, right? And we're like, what if this doesn't happen? What if things go wrong? What if I die? Jesus has no fear. The demoniac replies, my name is Legion. Now, that's important for lots of historical reasons. But a legion in the Roman army was a thousand soldiers. So he uses that. That's, in, that's intentional. A legion is a thousand or more soldiers. So this guy is inhabited by a thousand or more demons. And it's, again, this power encounter where he says, oh, really? Oh, really? Hey, there's a, more than a thousand of me in here. Come on. And in the face of Jesus' power, the demon, because demons are cowards, begs him not to send him out from the region. says, begged him again and again not to send him out of the area. I won't go through the rest of the story, but it's kind of cool, and I'd love to see a movie for him. He sends him into pigs. The pigs rush off a cliff, drown themselves. It's awesome. Not the end, though. Because what happens next is Jesus does set the man free in the midst of removing the demons. And the townspeople come out, and they see the man sitting there, this person who had been screaming from the hills, cutting himself, attacking people, breaking chains, breaking irons off of his feet, clothed and in his right mind. Oh, I forgot the part. The, guy, the dude screams. He's totally naked while he's doing it. Anybody have that neighbor? <laughs> Only on Saturdays after a case. Um, this is an interesting and strange story, but the important part is that when the demons and the oppression is confronted with the power and the love and the concern and the compassion of Jesus, it has to go. It has to go. Now, it had been going on for a long time. You could say, well, why didn't Jesus, why did he have to cross the lake? Why did he wait until the person came on his knees in front of him? I, I don't know those answers. I do know this. The power of Jesus is greater than any power of evil that exists in our life. Period. The end. Period. Greater than any addiction. Greater than any mental unhealth. Greater than any illness. And I know if you're like me, you sat in the chair and sat in illness and sat in attack. And sat in a place of like, Jesus, why is it taking so long? I don't know the answer to that. But I know he can do it. And I know he will. I have sat over a period of years and asked Jesus to do something. And wondered why he hasn't done it yet. But I know in my heart that he will. 
And I think that's part of the battle with our demons, with our oppression. See, the question is not why is this happening? The question is when will Jesus deliver me? It's important because you know what why does? It just twists us up, keeps us in a state of, un, of lack of understanding, and Satan has a feeling. Let's go out now. No, it's just weird. Shut off the lights and give me a megaphone. No, I was kidding. How many of you have felt an overwhelming sense of opposition recently? I have. It's not a question of can he. I feel like the Lord is saying this to us today. It's not a question of can he. It's a question of when he will. And we can wait expectantly in prayer with patience because he's going to do it. I believe it. We were meant to live free. Free of spiritual oppression, both from outside forces and from internal forces. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the internal forces in the next story. But understand, if you, you understand, do you guys know we have an enemy? You know you got somebody who hates you? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is something I learned in theology. I thought Satan only attacked believers. He hates all of us. So we got that going for us. If you are created in the image of God, which means you're a human being, regardless of gender, ethnicity, any of those things, if you were created in the image of God, Satan hates your guts, and he's trying to kill you. So if that doesn't keep you up, <laughs> no, I'm being a little bit funny, but understand, we have an enemy. I'm not, and I want to be careful, it's not parking spot, I call it parking spot theology, which is if you find the parking spot you want, then Jesus loves you. And if you don't, Satan's oppressing you, you know, which is a, it's not what I'm talking about, but I'm saying you have, there's a force in this world that is actively attempting to thwart you and take away and make you question your identity because your identity is wrapped up in God. He's trying to destroy that. So we were meant to live free, free of spiritual oppression. One quick thought about this story before I move on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't make stronger chains? Could he have? He invented titanium. I mean, I'm no physicist, but he did it. He could have made stronger chains. That would have made everyone in the city feel better. But he didn't. Why? Because you're meant for freedom. Please hear that. I've said it nine times. Okay. The next story is a story of desperation. And I believe, I cannot understand what this woman went through. But I believe that at some level there has to be depression that was happening. And for me, i just saying it in front of all of you, I have suffered with depression on and off again for going on 20 years. I'm free of it right now. I have been for quite some time by God's grace. But... I, when I read this story, that's the feeling I get. And so moving on in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going. Uh, there's a man named Jairus that has asked him to come and heal his daughter. And so Jesus is moving toward that. And it says a very large or large crowd followed and pressed around him. Okay. And a woman was there 
who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years of illness. 12 years of her body physically betraying her. And we're going to look at what this meant in Jewish society, but for 12, can you imagine? For 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Can you feel the hopelessness? When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She had heard the stories about Jesus, okay? So where he is in this part of the story, he had been healing people. He had done some incredible things. So she, she had, there was this really simple act of faith and hope at the end of a 12-year desperate battle against her own body. And the, and the disciples, um, the, sorry, the gospel writers that, that write this story don't tell us that this is like demonic. They don't, they don't indicate that this is somehow the result of sin. What it seems like, as I looked into it, studied it, is that it's just simply a physical ailment, right? I mean, not every cold you get comes from the devil, right? Not everybody who gets cancer treated their body poorly in their 20s. Sometimes our bodies malfunction. We live in a fallen world. And so that's what this seems to be. Nothing she caused and nothing that outside forces caused. Does that make it any easier? You guys feel like that? For me, that... Like if I knew... Like I know I have an enemy. This entire week has been... Like as I got ready for this message, the whole thing's been a challenge. Little man's barely slept. We've had multiple nights, including last night, up from three to six, right? And I know you parents have young ones. You get that, right? Just the, the, the exhaustion. Um, lots of other challenges. Sometimes I know, like, that's the enemy. Sometimes I go, oh, my jeans don't fit. Maybe I should lay off the donuts. I'm not fat because Satan hates me. I'm fat because I love tacos, <laughs> right? So sometimes we get that it's an outside force. Sometimes we get that it's something that we've caused in ourselves, right? But sometimes there's no explanation. And in my opinion, that is a road that leads straight to depression and despair. Because we can't fix it. We can't do battle against it. When I think about this woman and I try to put myself in her shoes, I think I, I would just be at an end. I would just want to crawl up into a room and die. Under the, the, the statutes of the society that she lived in, let me give you a little bit picture, better picture of what life would have been like for her. So illness beyond her control that doctors had taken all of her money, so now she was broke. She would have had an imposed isolation by Jewish law with all that that means. No husband, no ability to, to gain in that society, to gain more money, to get the money back that she had lost. No intimacy with 
other people. She would have had to thought about where she went. She couldn't have gone into the sanctuary, if my understanding is correct. She couldn't have gone into the synagogue, I mean. So it would have affected her relationships with her family, with her friends. She would have an inability to have children. For those that have, have wrestled with that in their lives, I've seen and, and talked with friends. It's, it's devastating. Like, it's heart-wrenching when you want to have a child and you can't. This illness created suffering that was way outside of the symptoms that her body was presenting. You know, my thought is, why wouldn't God heal her before she met Jesus? Have you ever, come on now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm treading on some theological ice here. I, we had a, we had a, a young, our, uh, one of our little guys battled cancer for nine months. I'm so grateful that he's alive. And I know that God healed him. I watched it happen. Story after story of miracle of God's power in the hospital. Why not one month? Anybody else think that way? Am I the only one? Not long after we were in the hospital, Kurt, Kurt and Lauren came in visits. They brought us Chipotle. Blessed us, prayed. Why not right then? Kurt, you're, you're a powerful man of God. You have incredible faith, incredible strength. Lauren, I've known since, I don't know how old, but both of you love Jesus. Anybody ever wrestle with that question? Or am I the only one? Come on, don't leave me hanging just because I'm up front. Why not one month? Okay, Lord, we get it. We saw your power. You healed him. You, you, why not one month? I have to think that this lady, why not, why not one year? I've been asking God to heal it for 12 years. Why? I don't know. I don't have any answer. And if anybody tells you they do, they're trying to sell you something. Here's what I do know. Like the demoniac, when confronted with the power and the love and the compassion and the concern of Jesus, it's healed. And all she does is step forward and, and touch his cloak, a very simple act of faith. I think what's helpful for us in the midst of facing oppression and depression is that Jesus always offers mercy and hope and he cares about you. He cares. The story goes on to tell us that at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? <laughs> who, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples being the ever so literal linear thinkers that they are. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Come on. Man, we don't get paid enough to figure that apart out, okay? We're already running security and food supply. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Why? That's really interesting. I, I'm, I could spend years in this passage and Kurt's concerned that I might. I promise I won't. Why did he turn around? Was she healed already? Job done? 
Was it over? Says so she could sense in her body that she had been made well. It's over. It's not like temporary. Why do you turn around? Why is he looking for her? You guys tell me. Come on. Yeah. Because he loves her. He wants to know her. How many of you have had someone that you've prayed for pass away? Beg the Lord to heal. It does not mean that he doesn't love that person. And it does not mean that he doesn't love you. There is this specific attention that Jesus gives to people that nothing else in the world offers. And when you are in your darkest, I don't understand moments, he's looking around for you. Who's calling my name? Sorry. This is really close to my heart. Jesus knows each one of us and our suffering, and he cares about it. And don't you ever let the enemy tell you that he doesn't. The moment that voice comes in that says, God forgot about you. God doesn't care that you're sick. God doesn't care that you're depressed. God doesn't care that you lost your job. God doesn't care that your relationships are falling apart. God doesn't care that you're enchained in addiction. God doesn't get That is a lie from the pit of hell and always has been and always will be. He's looking around. Who, who touched me? Who called my name? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins <clears throat> is a slave to sin. He says this in John chapter 8. Sorry, I jumped, jumped gospels. Let me go back. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." That's such a beautiful end to a really dark story. And I think that Jesus has beautiful ends to our really dark stories for each of us. Actually, I don't think it. I believe it. I know it. I've seen it happen. He knows each one of us in our suffering, and he cares about it deeply. When, when talking to some of the rulers in, in this uh, account that's captured in John chapter 8, they start talking about who their father is and their righteousness and that they're children of Abraham and that they know the the Mosaic law backwards and forwards. And he says, I'm the son of the king. It's, so, it, it's good that you know all those things. But those aren't the things that set you free. It's interesting to me, I, I've been in the midst of suffering and asked the Lord, why am I going through this? Did I do something wrong? I'm just going to hit all the points today. Anybody ever felt that? Right? Did I do something wrong? I had that thought this week. Is that what I think? What did I do? Start examining, like, how much, you know, do I know? Have I been obedient? Have I earned my way into God? Like, did I earn the parking spot that God opened up for me? You know what really matters? Is that the sun sets you free? You're free indeed. Period. The end. And that's what he responds when they start challenging his theology. 
They have parking spot theology. Do right, act right. Or is that, what's the phrase Alan used to say? I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. <laughs> Wherever you find yourself today, Jesus wants you to be free. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It's why he took the penalty of our sin and why the Holy Spirit continues to operate among us. His love doesn't fade. It's ever-present, always at work. It's bigger than our whys. It's bigger than our political solutions. It's stronger than any chain. It's stronger than any demonic influence. It's so strong, it's even stronger than your sin. I, I joked about this, but the truth is that we've done things that cause our lives to be less than God intended. And if, and if that's you, if you're at some point in your life and you're wrestling through addiction and you think, but God doesn't, God doesn't heal that because I brought it on myself. So we talked about the demoniac, right? We talked about the lady who had no control over her illness. But what about those of us that like, I ate the dozen donuts. It's bigger than that. That's what the cross is about. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you, each and every one of you. Um, I've gotten the privilege. I did youth ministry for 12 years, back doing it now. What's crazy about doing youth ministry when you're young uh, is that eventually all those people grow up and they want you to do their weddings. And in 2017, we did 14? We did like 14 weddings. Jody, she forgot what it was like to not live in like a hotel or at a resort. Because these young people are growing up, and they're all, like, making money, and they're like, oh, well, we'll pay for your room. We'll fly you out here. We'll do all this. I was like, it's nice, like a 12-month vacation. I just got to stand up in a tie and say some stuff, try to remember them from youth group. <laughs> I heard 1 Corinthians 13 so many times, so many times. And if you know that, love is patient, love is kind. I don't, yeah. There is this nugget at the end for me that defines the rest of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? And I've, I wrestled. Why is, faith is really good. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the only way to please God. Why is love the greatest? Hope is really good. We run on hope. Why do we have kids? Because we hope that their life, you know, that they were, you know, multiplying, filling the earth. That's what God told us to do. Why do we go to work? We hope we'll get paid. <laughs> you know? We hope. We hope. Hope is really important. It's so much of what drives us as human beings. And yet Paul says love. It's interesting. Love, to me, feels a little bit nebulous. I love pizza. I also love my wife. Right? I love Corvettes, and I also love Jesus. So what love feels a little nebulous, and I think I've figured it out, and this is where we're going to end today because we're going to, um, we're going to practice the strategy. So faith is a gift. I heard a young person tell me one time, faith is a gift. God has to give it to you. I thought, so true. We cannot manufacture faith. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Hope is the result of faith. So hope is the... 
is the understanding that things will get better or that God will move and God will act, right? There's a great statement by a guy named John Maxwell. He used to be a pastor. Now he's a business leader, wrote a bunch of books. He says, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> he's talking about in the business world when you sit down at your desk or you go to your job, whatever kind of work you do, and you hope that everything gets done, <laughs> not a strategy. The reason that Paul says that love is the greatest is that love is the strategy. When you look at Jesus, all of the stories in the gospel, he brings healing, he brings faith, he brings hope, he brings restoration, he brings life. Why? Because of love. Love is the strategy. Love is God's strategy for your life. You want to know why he wants to heal you? Because he loves you. You want to know why he wants to make your life better? Because he loves you. You want to know why he wants to rebuke the enemy when the enemy is stealing and killing and destroying? Because he loves you. That feeling when we get during worship, anybody else? I don't, I'm, I'm like... I didn't. I never wanted to end. I always, I always stand up when I do the announcement. Like, can we just keep doing that? I've seen Kurt's sermon. It's. <laughs> I can promise you that the three that we've known each other long enough, I will get that back. <laughs> Sorry. I just love. What is that feeling? It's God's love, through worship, breaking into our hearts. When you feel that. When you hear a song, when you see a piece of art, when you walk past a flower, you smell bread baking, whatever those, that's God saying, hey, I love you. I created this whole place for you. I created this family, these people, these friends, this community, this church. I created it for you because I love you. And that's the only reason. And you didn't do anything for it. So, I want to finish today asking the Holy Spirit to pour out his love on us. Let me invite people that are prayer partners. We haven't done this in a while because of COVID. We're going to do it again. So if you're a small group leader or you're, you're um, someone who's been trained to pray for people, or you, you know, would you please come down front now? You can go ahead and make your way now. Do it a little different. It's okay. Don't freak out. So here's something that I've come to understand. In the act of putting her hand out to touch Jesus' garment, to touch his cloak, there is just such a simple amount of faith in that. And I have seen in my own life and in the lives of others that sometimes when you have been begging God for a long time to heal you and it hasn't happened, that sometimes a very simple act of faith, asking someone to pray for you. And so that's what these folks are here for, okay? So in a minute, you can come down and get prayer for whatever. If you have a, a sprained ankle, if you, if you have an injury, you have an illness that you've been dealing with for a long time, and I'm not sure that God's going to heal you today. 
you, you may walk out and, and still be walking through this. But you know what? I believe that Jesus will pour his love out on you. I believe that. I've seen it happen. I shared the story of Kurt and Lauren coming to the hospital when Squish was first diagnosed. I did ask the Lord, why didn't you heal him right then? My friend John Aureli from the Mission Vineyard in San Antonio came and prayed. Ray, all these vineyard people, I've been in the vineyard for 20, almost 20 years. I mean, all these pastors. It was like, like the heavy hitters, okay? Like the, the people that you go, oh, well, if they pray, we're out. Get the parking ticket. Didn't happen. But for nine months, Jesus poured out his love. And he's still doing it. And he's still doing it. And he's still doing it. And if that's all I have, that's all I have. But I think, it, I think he does. I think he wants to heal some people. So, second thing is this. Um, I, I shared with you that I have dealt with uh, depression. And I have actually, I've not dealt with oppression, but I've seen it. Um, and it's, it's as weird as the story. And I want to pray for you for that. So I'm going to stand down. I'm not going to stand up here. Actually, if you don't mind, you don't have your microphone. Huh? I was going to say, if you don't mind, why don't you close the service? And I just want to be available to pray for people. And if you're here and this is your first time, we don't always do this. But Kurt said, I asked him, I was like, hey, man, I want to pray for people. I want to set them free. So um, I, I believe that because God has set me free, not because of anything in me, but because I have faith that God can do it. And I want to pray for it. And God meets us in that willingness. It's the woman reaching out to touch the cloak. There's some willingness happening. Um, that I, I would love to pray for you. Okay, so if you're here today and you are dealing with depression. And, and everybody's going to get up in a minute, so it'll be no big deal if you like. Okay, so don't be freaked out about it. Um, let me, I'd love to pray for you. Because I think God wants to set you free. Is that okay? Yeah. So, so why don't we all stand? Yeah. And here's, here's what I want to maybe add to you. We pray for people all the time. This is what we do. We don't always invite, like, specific, like, these specific prayer requests come as the Lord leads us and guides us. And so we're going to ask the Lord to pour out his love on everybody. And you can receive that right where you're at. And I'm going to, uh, I'll grab um, a mask. So if you want somebody to pray for you, we'll have some people available with masks who aren't masked. Because I know that we're still in this in-between space. So if that's like a barrier to you, I'm going to remove that barrier so that you can feel comfortable. Everybody can feel comfortable coming to receive prayer as you are right where you are. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and pour out your spirit. And I just ask right now for everybody in the room, this is for everyone. Your love is available and we ask that you would pour it out generously in clear, tangible ways that speak to people's hearts and minds and circumstances. God, I thank you that in each of these stories, their story is so big, they, they make my stuff honestly feel small, and that is actually not the point of the story. The point of the story is that God met them right where they are for what they had specific need of, because that is a God who knows them. And he also speaks to their name. He sees them. He says, what is your name? Who are you? He wants to know you closely. And so today he's calling you by your name, saying, come, walk with me, receive from me. So God, would you in your mercy and grace pour out your spirit on this community that we might know you, we might know your freedom, and that we would be a community with stories to tell, like the stories we see revealed in Scripture today. Come with your power. 
Come with your mercy. We bless this community to receive from you here for anyone who comes for prayer. And as we go, that we would receive from you too. So we bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.